number one news talk station. FM 96.3 and AM 620. WVMT Burlington. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Morning Drive, everybody. Kurt and Anthony here. And now joining us online is Dr. Dwight Chapin, who has written a very good book called Take Good Care, Seven Wellness Rituals for Health, Strength, and Hope. Good morning, Dr. Chapin. Good morning, guys. Happy to be here. Nice to uh, be on the show this morning. Absolutely. We appreciate it. And uh, so let's talk about the seven rituals that you've identified here. And uh, I guess we start with the first one, which has particular interest to me, which is uh, (laughs) prioritizing sleep, rest, and recovery. And to tell you why it has particular interest to me, because I get up at 4 o'clock to come into the show, and I rarely have an even decent night's sleep. And I know it has great impacts on me. It does, yes, and, and sleep's a good place to start. It uh, it often gets overlooked, and in fact, in some cases, um, people look at sleep almost as an inconvenience, you know, getting in the way of, of their to-do list, and actually, sleep is, is just vital to good health. It's a, it's a very dynamic process that affects every tissue organ system in our body, and when we... Uh, when we tap into a regular sleep cycle, we, we tap into our healing potential. We, we give our body it, it, the opportunity that it needs to repair uh, and heal itself and, uh, and set ourselves up for success. Um, so unfortunately, what's happening with a lack of sleep is we're seeing a, a, a public health epidemic. It's now being called insufficient sleep syndrome. And it's frankly just people not getting the length and the quality of sleep that they need. Sleep has both of those dimensions, length and quality. And insufficient sleep syndrome, when you're not getting the sleep your body deserves, you feel like you're moving through every day sort of in a fight with fatigue. That type of pattern is linked to premature aging, metabolic and cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, obesity, mental illness, and and even linked to, to premature death. So prioritizing sleep, looking at just exactly what's happening in sleep biologically, uh, understanding the powers, healing powers that are tapped into in sleep is the first step in wellness ritual number one. Uh, and, uh, and from there, uh, laying down practices to set yourself up for success, which, which I'd be happy to talk to you about this morning. Yeah, let's, uh, because again, everything you just described is exactly what I got. I'm sure lots of our listeners too. And by the way, the McKenzie Country Classic Hotline's open. If you have a question for Dr. Chapin, 888 But, you know, I slog through. I get up four or five times in the middle of the night. It's a, it's a horrible yeah. night's sleep, and then I do feel fatigued the rest of the day. What, yeah. How much sleep do we need, and uh, how do we how do we improve? Yeah, so, so you touch on something that's really important, and and that's that a lot of people do struggle with sleep. Like the research shows that you know about a third of us aren't getting enough sleep, and and fifty to seventy percent of us struggle with sleep. Um, so let's, let's start quickly with just going through some of the things that happen um, to, to boost healing in sleep. Uh, and, and first is the, the mind declutters in sleep. Our brain actually has a, a waste management system that kicks in when we sleep, and it helps our brain flush out some of the memory-impairing proteins that build up in sleep um, that are linked to dementia. Uh, so we're looking at amyloid beta, beta proteins, and as they build up in, in uh through the day, uh, and we're not allowing the time for the brain to clear those out, then they can have an imp- impact on cognitive function. Sleep will also prime your immune system. 
It helps to regulate our, our metabolic health and, and weight management and supports our, our mood and, and mental health. So the step one is looking at, all right, well, how much sleep do we need? And on average, adults are looking for somewhere between seven and nine hours a night. Um, kids, school-age kids are looking for 10, 10-plus 10 hours a night. And individuals over the age of 65 are looking between seven and eight hours asleep a night. And, and to pull my book together, uh, I worked very closely with, with 21 different leaders, uh, leaders in business, sport, media, entertainment, healthcare, and education. And, and I studied their lifestyle practices, their, their approach to adversity and their discipline to self-care and, and some of the strategies that they employ to prepare themselves for success uh, and, and deal with, with peak events in both recovery and preparation. And in studying their sleep practices, one of the habits that I found to be very helpful was practiced by a stress resiliency expert, Dr. Robin Hanley Defoe. And what she does is she tries to practice that average sleep uh, on, a, on a three-day window. So instead of stressing out over a night's sleep that doesn't go your way, you don't get that eight, nine hours that you were hoping to get or anywhere close to it, uh, over the next two days, she tries to make up that average. And um, she finds that by focusing on a three-day window instead of and every night it reduces anxiety around trying to get sleep. Um, and so that's, that's one approach that you can take. But in, in practicing a, a healthy sleep hygiene, it really begins with how are you preparing your nervous system for rest? What are some of the triggers that you can employ in that, in that 60 minute window before you want to be asleep? And that pre, pre-sleep ritual bedtime practice is, is particularly important in, one of the more powerful tools that we have there is just the use of light. If we dim light before we go to bed in that 60-minute window, um, we're giving our nervous system the cues that it's time to begin to shut down. And then within that 60-minute window, choosing activities that are calming. You know, that's not the time to be checking your inbox or looking at to-dos mm-hmm. for tomorrow. You want to be in low-stress activities in a practice that, again, will trigger your body and your mind that, oh, yeah, this is the time of the day when I begin to unwind. And so for some, that's reading. For some, that's a, a, a bath or a practice of yoga or relaxing time with family. Um, but it's a time that's strategically uh, employed to, to trigger the brain that, yes, it's time to wind down. And then you use light to your advantage again in the morning when you wake up within that first 30 minutes of waking um, expose yourself to natural light if possible, um, but that light exposure starts that sleep cycle uh, and helps to regulate your circadian rhythm. And I would think so that... Your, I'm sorry, go ahead, sir. I was going to say, in your case, where you're on the early morning radio show or your listeners that are listening early this morning, if they're getting up and going perhaps before the sun is up, is up um, then you can still use light to your advantage to start to track your to help track your your circadian rhythm and get it uh, aligned. And I would um, what I was going to say is as I as I look at some of the other um, rituals you have, they obviously are very interconnected because you, you you talk about you know you need healthy fuel, you need to keep your waistline in 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 good order. But the the better you practice those. I would think sleep becomes easier or, or it seems like, yeah. you know, I, I can see how they're all connected together. And I'm, I'm very fascinated. What, what prompted you to, 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 to look at or, or pull the, the, the 21 individuals 
and how they, you know, use those as, say, mentors. And mm-hmm. with the data, what, what prompted the book? So uh, I've been in practice for 25 years, and in practice I see patients every day who, whose struggles are, are rooted in their daily practices. And in, in some cases, people are very much aware where they're cutting corners, and, and uh, in other cases, they're not. They're, they're disconnected from the important influence that their daily habits, their choices that they make every day, that has on health and performance. And in, in Canada, the, the restrictions um, that we were facing during COVID uh, in the lockdowns in the early days of COVID were, were considerable. And um, by, by the time we got to the end of 2020, I was seeing a real shift in the mindset of my patients. A lot of the coping strategies that people had employed to get through the isolation and restriction of the early days of, of the pandemic, uh, those coping strategies were starting to, to break down. And patients were beginning to, to come into the clinic with a much different mindset and approach. There was a frustration, but, but more importantly, a determination to to want to come out of this experience with a different relationship with their health. They wanted to change their relationship with work and sleep and diet and friends and family and stress and, and wanted more from life. They, they wanted to change tracks and, and there was determination to, to feel better, think better, move better, uh, just be better. And it was that shift in, in interest and focus and determination to want to dive into, okay, well, how can I improve my health? What lifestyle choices can I make to begin to live a healthier life? And that was when I was, the, the light switch went off for me, and I was like, okay, now's the time to, to write this book. And because of the, the leaders and, and the high performers that I've had an opportunity to work with in my career, I typically, you know, see leaders sort of fall into one of two buckets. You have those that, that just go all out in, in pursuit of their goals or their professional obligations and, and, and many times get themselves in trouble uh, with respect to their health. And uh, it's at that point that they'll come in looking for some help. But then you have others that, that are able to prioritize their self-care and lock in a formula that just elevates health and performance as they pursue their professional goals. And, and, and that group has always fascinated me. And I've spent my career studying individuals like those. And so I called on, on 21 such individuals when I went to, uh, to begin this book and approached them with my idea that, listen, the best way to bring the science of self-care to life is, is to share powerful stories, people that that are walking the walk. And um, I knew that if I could bring those stories to life and show people just how these individuals have incorporated self-care into their life and the impact it's had on their health performance, that I could, I could spark a conversation. And as I got into these interviews and started working with these people, that's when I discovered that there was, in fact, a common ground to their practice. And that common ground I refer to in the book as the seven wellness rituals. And we've discussed ritual one, prioritize sleep, rest, and recovery. But Across all 21, all 21 practice these seven rituals, and they do it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the cool thing about their approach to self-care is that it's not this set-it-forget-it strategy. The, the, their formula is constantly evolving and, and being, uh, being tweaked to, depending on where they are in stage of life or, or the circumstances that they're faced with. But, and, and doctor, but all seven did have a place. Dr. Chapin, what... How would you describe the difference between what you talk about habits and rituals? Yeah, great question. So a lot of times in self-care, people are looking to, to sort of cram it into the margins of a busy life, right? Like mm-hmm. 
well, it was a busy day today, and I and I and I cut my sleep short, but I'll try to catch it tomorrow. Or I was on the run today; I didn't have time to, to grab a healthy lunch. Um, you know, I skipped lunch, so I'll I'll, I'll pick up a, a larger dinner later. And and um, and so habits are defined as as regular settled tendencies, and and tendencies just aren't strong enough to command biology. If we want to tap into the body's healing potential, then these seven practices, which are evidence-based, have been shown to have a significant impact on health. And what the literature is showing us is that the current theory on, on, on aging is that it's, it's not biologically or genetically predetermined. That longevity experts are, are, are now looking at aging as, as a process that's triggered by a decline in health in, in specific biological processes, systems that, that are largely influenced by the choices that we make every day in our lifestyle practices. And like we're talking significant numbers, like 80% of heart disease cancer, or sorry, 80% of heart disease, stroke, and metabolic disease, 30% of cancers are, are, are directly lifestyle driven. So yeah. when you talk when, about when you learn to like stack that. these healthy habits, um, making that, them rituals, not habits. And that's because of, change. and that's because of poor diet, poor exercise. Yeah. Or so lack it's, of a combina- exercise? it's a, yeah, it's a combination, right? You're looking at, um, Certainly, the, the amount of sleep that you're getting, so how and when is the body repairing itself, um, the foods that you're eating, and, and in, in the nutritional choices we're making, how are we regulating and controlling the inflammation in our body? Um, two-thirds of, of Canadians, anyway, are, are adults are, are obese, and, and over 50% of calories are coming from ultra-processed food, foods, and that has a significant impact on on the inflammation in the body, and um, that's, the, that's the, the ground with which a lot of disease will begin. I'm so just, it's the I, food we eat, it's how we move, the, our practices of movement in any given day, it's, it's how we maintain our strength as we age, it, it's how we perceive stress and our stress resiliency, and, uh, and it's how we incorporate fun and happiness and play in our life. I'm just going to say I'm in trouble. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? The, the, the one of the things that I think is really interesting, and in, in some of the uh, the mentors in the book are are Olympic athletes and former pro athletes, and and one of the things that I pulled from them and their approach was: listen, like we all get to play this game every day. Like self care is not a game of perfection. It's, it's let's look at these rituals. Let's understand how the body operates. And none of these individuals were, were masters of clean living. Like they all have had significant challenges in their life, but they all look to their practices and their formula for self-care as to what can I do today to set myself up for success and improve my performance. And so there's a kindness, there's a forgiveness in their approach that they'll just look to make one choice different today to be healthier than they were yesterday. It doesn't and, have to and be daunting that's really task. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a daunting task. It can just be, yeah. you know, an overall plan and say, well, you know, this is this is where I'm headed. And so you may you may have the wrong snack or something like that, but it's not like the end of the world. Um, number seven, I find interesting: play with purpose. Right? Mm-hmm. right? You know, explain that to our listeners a little bit. Sure. Please. So, absolutely. So, you know the. The, the um, biological ripple effect of, of a smile is, is profound, you know, and you, you start stacking yeah. laughter, you see a shift in, in mood. And mm-hmm. interestingly, even when you don't feel like smiling or laughing, if you see someone smile at you, even a stranger in the street, it, it's hard not to smile back. 
so, so this final ritual play with purpose is all about bringing more happiness, joy, you know, excitement and, and wonder to, to your day. And, and the research shows us that those that are happy um, tend to practice self-care um, on, on a more regular basis tend to have stronger, more healthy social relationships. And, and with happiness comes lower heart rate, lower cortisol, lower inflammation, improved immune function, slower disease progression, and what's interesting is that in our in our frantic pace, you know, it's it's as though adults, you know, we forget to enjoy the ride, and and all of a sudden life becomes very serious, and and play is is perceived as being frivolous, and and, and in fact, it's not. It has a massive health yeah. benefit. And Dr. Yeah. Chapin, we've only got a, a just a few minutes left here, but one of the things also that you talk about is number four. In fact, is move to stay young, and that you're saying that stiffness and poor movement are not inevitable consequences of aging. Um, I'll give you an example. I have a brother who lives across the country on the West Coast, and I will say, hey, he'll talk about his aches and pains, and I'll say, why don't you go mm-hmm. for a walk? And he said, I can't mm-hmm. go for a walk because I've got too many aches and pains to go out. But does he have the aches and pains because he doesn't go for the walk and do the things that he needs to do? It's kind of like the chicken and egg thing. Yeah, exactly. You know, we are very much creatures of habit. So how we move, how we challenge our balance, our, our coordination, our strength, our flexibility – um, has a huge impact on on how the body ages, and um, even though an arthritic knee can be painful to move, the research shows that by moving we will help to manage that pain. So you start where you are, and for some patients that's a walk down the hallway. Then maybe it's a walk to the end of the driveway, and then maybe it's to the end of the street. Then maybe it's around the block. But you you, you begin by bringing some movement to the day, and and for us to enjoy a quality of movement as we age, we have to practice movement. And um, so, yeah, absolutely. As, as we age, that becomes a, a more important practice in a daily routine. Um, and, and looking at your patterns of movement, understanding sort of what are your postural tendencies. What I see in the office often are people that are coming in with, with sore necks and upper backs and shoulders mm. from the way they're holding their, their phones or tablets and their heads in a flexed position. So, Simply making that change as it, as it relates to moving to stay young, so, uh, holding that phone up a little higher and making sure that you're not tipping your head down and flexion as far, that in and of itself can make a big impact. So and, and so in other words, too, you can't give in to the pain. You can't. Uh, the more you curl up in a ball and just say, I got too many pains, I'm just going to stay here on the couch or whatever, you got the it. worse it's going to get. Is that? You got it. You got it. You know, like we, we're sitting close to, to, to 10 hours a day, you know, behind a screen and, and, and otherwise. And if we were to take one hour of, of that time and go for a moderate-paced walk, like all-cause mortality would drop by 30%. Risk of major depression would drop by 26%. Um, and that's not having to go to the gym and, and work real hard and build up a sweat. That's just a, a, a moderate-paced walk around around the block. And if, and if an hour is not reasonable, then start where you can. Like just bring some movement to your day, and it, it's amazing the impact that that has and how that influences how the body adapts. I mean, all these rituals, they're all designed to help you influence your trend line. How are you tapping into the genes that are going to promote health and promote longevity? And exercise and movement is by far one of the most powerful self-care rituals. It really is true. You know, my grandmother used to always say, well, get your blood moving and then tell me how you feel. <laughs> Exactly. And, it, exactly. and uh, even when you start out and you get out of bed and you're a little, uh, you're sore, but if you, if, if you just kind of 
get get over that first hump and get going. It, it does uh, make a big difference. And we're basically out of time, and I know you are too, Dr. Chapin, but can you just give a, a sentence or two on when you say protect your strength, number five, um, and resistance training, can you just give a sentence or two on what that means? Yeah, sure. So uh, by the time you reach 40, our, our muscular strength already a decade into decline. So our muscular mm. strength will peak up to the age of 30, and then from that point forward, uh, depending on your use and how you're challenging your body, you will begin to lose muscle mass. Now, the good news is that we have control over that by influencing your practices, introducing a little bit of resistance training. It can be body weight. It could be bands. It could be a little bit of light weight, um, bringing more movement to your day. Then you can change the how um, your muscle mass is maintained, and that has a huge impact not just on strength and mobility, but as we maintain strength, um, you also will improve sleep and energy and weight management, and you can reduce the amount of visceral fat in the body and improve your insulin sensitivity. So some of the studies done on, on 90-year-olds um, starting a weightlifting program and seeing improvements in balance and strength and coordination just goes to show just how resilient the body is. Um, but if we aren't practicing resistance training at all and we look at that decline in strength as a, as a byproduct of aging, then we're really missing out on the opportunity to have a, have a huge shift in, in health and performance as we age. Dr. Chapin, we know you have some patients you have to get to, so we're going to let you go, but we really appreciate you being on the morning drive today. Um, thank you so much. And everybody, Dr. Dwight Chapin's book, Take Good Care, Seven, seven Wellness Rituals for Health.